That video's got the best music. That makes me want to dance on stage. Hey, everybody. Good morning, Watermark Church. My name is John Elmore. I serve as the Director of Regeneration here at the Dallas campus. Great to be with you all every time and also with those of you joining online or from another campus or even in the overflow rooms. Thankful to be together this morning in the house of God. So, well, hey, more on that later, house of God. But I've got something to show you. So, Everybody have a good Thanksgiving here in the room? Good Thanksgiving? Yeah, that was like a third of people. When there's a global pandemic going on, it's hard to have a good Thanksgiving. Uh, you can't travel. There's people with pre-existing conditions. There's the elderly, and you got exposed at the office because of that person who wasn't conscientious, and now you're stuck at home. It's just like it's a difficult time. And in that difficult time of Thanksgiving, like a, a third, but two-thirds of people were like, no, actually, it was not a great Thanksgiving. It was really hard. Uh, couldn't travel, stuck at home, wasn't with family or loved ones or the friends that I would have usually. And it makes you realize the importance of family and loved ones. Like it becomes really clear like in their absence. And because of the importance of family, two years ago on Mother's Day, I created this little beauty uh, for family values. So this was Elmore Family Promises. Made it for Laura, and it's like, we will always be married, loving, forgiving, well-fed and clothed. I, you know, I'm trying to fight entitlement here. I'm like, hey, kids, you'll have food and something to wear. Anything other than that is gravy. So thank you. You're welcome. And uh, supportive, worshiping Jesus. They were Elmore Family Values. I wanted this to be, like, be in front of us because uh, family's important, and these things don't happen by accident. They needed to be there in front of us, these values. Now, where do you think this might hang in our house? You're thinking like entryway. So every time we come through the door right there, above the mantle, you know, maybe in the kitchen, kind of a, the kitchen's the heart of the home where we're all going to sit and every meal be reminded of these values. No, no, no. Here's where this little beauty hangs. In the garage, behind the ice cream maker that we've used once, my wife saw this, and she said, that's not going to hang in our house. And I was like, oh, really? I don't think cold, dead heart is a family value. Like, why? Are you serious right now? And she's like, hey, it's Sharpie on burlap, and that's not a family value. And so this got, I said, well, can I, can I hang in the garage? She's like, I guess. I was like, you realize I'm going to tell that to the whole congregation. I'm going to throw you under the bus in front of everybody. She's like, it's Sharpie on burlap. I don't care. <laughs> Married a truth teller, which is amazing. That, those family values that got put in the garage that, frankly, nobody sees anymore, they're out of sight. And what I think happens often with us, too, is biblical family values. The family values that God given us, sometimes those get put out of sight as well. Because God did write family values for the household of God. He wrote them in his word. He has given them to us, but often they fall out of sight. And so today we're going to bring them back to the foreground. We're going to hang them front and center and walk through many of them because it's so important. And lest you check out, here's one of the family values. He says this family value, if you don't uphold this singular family value, you have denied the faith 
and are worse than an unbeliever. Now that's really strong language, which might lead you to think like, okay, family value, like that, maybe that's like rejecting the deity of Christ or not upholding the inerrancy of scripture. Maybe that's like denying the resurrection. I mean, that's, that's strong that you've, if you don't uphold this family value, you've denied the faith and you're worse than an unbeliever. And, and those things would qualify for that. But the one value that this is written about, when God says this one, you deny the faith if you don't do that. You know what it is? It's to financially provide for your immediate family, specifically your aging mother, if and when she becomes a widow. He says, you don't do that, you're worse than an unbeliever, which is really sobering. So, there's many family values that we're going to talk through as we continue the focus series here in 1 Timothy. And talking about these family values is going to be important as we talk about the household of God under God the Father and how we live together and care for each other as brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers in the faith, living as a family together. So, before we talk about these family values, we've got to establish who is the family. Because these family values that I have, the kids down the street, they're not required to live according to these family values. These family values were not written for those children. Those children don't bear my name, they don't sleep in my house, they don't eat at my table, and they won't be a part of my inheritance. They're children, but they're not my children. And the reason why I share that is because before we talk about the family of God, I've got to deconstruct this crap heresy that has crept into the church as a folk theology. And it's something that we say, I guarantee you I've said it in my lifetime. And here's what it is, is that all the people of the world, all eight billion people, here's the phrase, well, we're all God's children, we're all God's children. Everybody with a heartbeat, everybody born under this earth, no matter what your background, what nation, what religion, who you claim as God, we are all God's children. Which is meant to be this like feel good unity thing. And it's simply not true. It's a heretical teaching. It is false doctrine. You will not find that in the scripture. What you will find is, yes, we are children, we're all children. We are children of wrath. That we were born, natural born sinners. That we were born spiritually dead in our sins and trespasses. You see, there's a doctrine in the Bible called the holiness of God. And in the holiness of God, it says that he can't be among wickedness. And so in our sin, we have been separated from God. And God will not entertain nor accept any false religion, false gospel, false trust in choosing a God of your own understanding or whoever you want it to be. But rather, there is one true God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through the Son. We are not all God's children. Quite oppositely, we are all children of wrath unless... Because God sees us in that, in our separation from him because of our sin. Which Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin are death. Someone's got to die because of sin. 
And what it is, is that because of our sin, it means spiritual death in this life and then physical and eternal death forever in the next in a real place called hell. Unless, rather than your death, you trust in God's provision of Jesus' death. This is why God sent Jesus. Because he knows that we're children of wrath and he sends Jesus as a rescue for us, as a ransom to draw us out, to adopt us into the family of God. That he sees us in our separation and says there's no way they could work their way up to me by good works or no level of bad works that would keep them from me. It's only through the rescue of Jesus. And so he sends Jesus, his son, God in flesh, fully man and fully God, who lived a sinless life that we could not live and then died the death on the cross that we deserved, was buried and raised again, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life and has crossed over from death to life. And not only that, has been adopted into the family of God. It says in Ephesians 1 that through the blood of Christ, we have been adopted by the Father and now indwelt by the Spirit. We have become children of God only if we are in and under Christ. That's who is the family of God. And I don't say that to like exclude some and include others. I say that to implore you that if you're here today or listening, and that if Jesus is not your salvation, then God is not your father. And you are in fact dead in your sin and a child of wrath. But today and every day, there is an open adoption where God says, come to me and I'll give you rest. The offer of Jesus is for every single person, all eight billion, no matter what your religion or background, that anyone who confesses with their mouth Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart, their spirit, that God raised Christ from the dead will be saved. That is the gospel. That is the good news. That is how you are adopted into the family of God. And as we talk about family values, that is essential, basic groundwork, foundational, transformational for all of us to understand before we can talk about how to live and care for each other in the family of God to understand who is and who isn't. And here in the holidays, in case you're like, I get it, gospel, move on, next point. You're going to go home for Christmas, or maybe home is, they're going to come to you. And you're going to have children of wrath step into your home, or you're going to go to others. And maybe it's your parents or your grandparents or your aunt and uncle or your cousin or that strange cousin that always shows up with a weird food who smells like mothballs. And they're going to be dead in their sin. And you've got the good news. And it's Christmas. And you can say, has anyone ever told you why we celebrate Christmas? Has anyone ever told you why it was important that Jesus was born, though he always existed? And you get to share the only only good news this world has. What an incredible privilege. Now, as we jump into family values, I want to read the text. So if you're following along in your Bible, it'll be on the screen as well. 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 16. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. 
younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day, but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives." Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than of 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, shown hospitality, washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, has devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to remarry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So, I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. First Timothy only has six chapters. There's six chapters in 1 Timothy. And here in chapter 5, the great majority of the passage is dedicated to who? Widows. There's a refrain. Like so much of 1 Timothy is given to widows. Why is that? It's because God's heart is and has always been for the vulnerable. And so as you look throughout the scriptures, what you're going to see is that God cares for the vulnerable. In particular, the poor the alien and stranger, the fatherless, and yes, here that we're going to read today, the widow, that his heart is for the widow. Over 80 times in Scripture, God speaks to widows, to their pain and to their plight, and he holds them up, it seems, very often as living example and parables, as pillars of faith. These widows, completely dependent upon God. We have much, much to learn from them. And then, the author and perfecter of our faith. This is incredible. And it's not often taught. Jesus' last words, his last good deed before he died was this. It was for a widow. So his last words were, I thirst, it is finished. But just prior to that, He's there on the cross moments before he breathes his last and he looks down at his widowed mother, Mary. And here's what he says from John 19. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that's John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Jesus wasn't talking about himself. He wasn't saying behold your son because of the next words that he says. Then he said to John the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. This is incredible. 
Jesus' final good work of all the miracles, all the messages, all the sermons, all the raising of the dead, sick healed, lame given life, blind sight, like everything that he did, his last good work that he would do before death was to care for his widowed mother, was to give charge of her to John. And it says from that hour, John took her into his home and cared for him. That's incredible what he does there. It shows the importance, the priority, and the intentionality of an eldest son caring for his birth mother. It says in verse 28, after this, after that act, after caring and trusting the care of his widowed mother to John, after this, knowing that all was now finished, that was one remaining good work that the father had ordained that the son must fulfill. After this, knowing that all was finished, then I thirst, according to the scriptures, it is finished. It's beautiful, how amazing, how compassionate that he cares not only for his widowed mother, that the Lord throughout Scripture cares for widows. And that if you are a widow, God cares for you immensely. His special attention and provision upon you in your pain and plight. And I and we and God wants you to know we're so sorry. Like I've spoken to many uh, men and women and widows as of late because of this passage and just with it being more on my mind and hearing the pain, the excruciating pain, the grief that, we, that you just can't understand. We are so sorry and want you to know that God loves you. He sees you. He's not forgotten you. In fact, his special attention and provision will be upon you as he is at your side. It says that the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, and so does the God of all comfort. He will meet you in that, dear widow. So, here's where we're going today as we talk about family values. The first that we're going to talk about is respect for the family. Respect for the family of God. Then we're going to talk about provision for the family. In particular, aging parents, especially an aging mother who is now a widow. And then finally faithfulness of the widow. Those will be the three things. Let's begin. Respect for the family of God. This is from 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2. It begins and says this regarding older men. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. The word encourage there in the Greek is parakaleo, which is the same root word given to the Holy Spirit, paraclete. The Holy Spirit is an encourager, a counselor, one who strengthens and builds up. And here, in verb form, parakaleo, that that is how younger men are to speak to older men, to strengthen, encourage, to build up in their older age, never to rebuke harshly. And so that is how we interact younger men to older or younger women to older. There's a phrase in this day and age that says respect is earned. Especially in like our divided nation, respect is earned. That's not a biblical premise, especially for older men. The Bible would say, contrary to that, no, respect is due. That respect is due simply by your years. Here in Leviticus 19.32 it says, you shall stand up before the gray head. And honor the face of an old man. You shall fear God. I am the Lord. 
And so an application, just simple as that, is when you see an older man, you stand up when they enter the room. You greet them, say, sir. And then as far as interacting with them, just as it says, encourage them, that, that strengthen them, that parakaleo, that you seek their wisdom. I'm always asking my grandfather-in-law for wisdom. I love that man, and he's got great wisdom for me. And I encourage him in that. Jim Wimberly, my boss, who's going to turn 80 in December, I'm in his office multiple times a day to learn from him, glean from him, to process my thoughts. I don't go in and say, this is what I'm thinking, Jim. This is what I'm going to do. Just wanted to give you a heads up. It's, hey, Jim, what, what do you think? And then we pray together, and I learn from him, that dear older man. Now, younger men, it says to treat as brothers. Brothers build up. They don't tear down. Now, I'm fortunate to have an older brother. He's three years older than me, Matt. He lives here in Dallas. And as such, what Matt has done for me is exemplary as far as how brothers treat each other. Like, like I've got a really good category when it says treat younger brothers or younger men as brothers. Because I'm like, okay, well, let me think about my, my brother. My brother is in my corner. He's got my back he cares for me, he prays for me, he gives me wise counsel. It, it, it's like he shepherds me. It's like God's given me the shepherd that's followed me around all of my life to like care for me, watch out for me, protect me, provide in different ways. It's been such an incredible gift. When I was 30 years old, on a Wednesday morning in Austin, Texas, on Congress Avenue, at the Stephen F. Intercontinental Hotel, I was drunk out of my mind with two homeless guys because I didn't want to be alone. I was like, come drink with me. I'll buy you whatever you want. And my brother found out. And that day, got a one-way ticket to Austin, Texas, put me in my own car, drove me back to Dallas where my family was waiting to care for me. He didn't lecture me, not once. He didn't lecture me. He loved me in truth and action and painted a picture for me of what could be if I would leave those ways. This isn't who you are. God's got better for you. We're here for you. I moved in with he and his wife, Mandy. They took me in because my life was unraveling. So older men, that's how we care for younger men in the church. We don't tear them down. There's a thing in this day and age, and maybe it's always existed. I think about like the 60s and 70s, it was probably the case. But we, we disparage millennials and Gen Z, right? Like I'm Gen X, and so it's, it's a thing to like to talk bad about them, to mock them, like their work, their communication style, their initiative, whatever it may be. Like that's a thing. Dude, let me tell you, millennials are powerful. They have the power to raise things from the dead. They single-handedly have raised crocs from the dead. And the crocs should have stayed in the tomb, but they raised them from the dead. And not only that, crocs with socks, which is anathema. They weren't good the first time around, and now they've complimented them with socks. It's horrible. If you read in Revelation, it says that one of the signs that Christ will be coming soon is men will begin wearing Crocs with socks. <laughs> I am certain it's in the message translation, if you check it out. The pictures that you just saw are J.D. Rogers, who is the creative director of the young adult team. He is the creative director for the largest young adult gathering in the world. So who do you think's got more artistic and aesthetic prowess? It ain't me. I wear jeans and boots every day of my life. 
and they should make fun of me. But JD is not only with Crocs and socks. That brother preaches the gospel according to the scriptures. And he does it in a way and in an outfit that I wouldn't wear. But the message he's proclaiming is eternity shifting. Did you know that many people go to him at this church and say, hey, JD, I want to learn from you. Older people go to him and say, would you teach me how I can craft this message better? How you can help me to shape this in a way that I can deliver it in a better way? Because these millennials and Gen Z, they're, they're, they're brilliant. And God has gifted them and wired them. And P.S., they grew up under your generation, so it's kind of your fault if you think they're going rogue. They're amazing individuals, and they're going to be the ones leading the church. The Regen team is all millennials. I'm the old man in the club. And they are forward-thinking, gospel-minded, kingdom-driving, and it is a gift and blessing. So we don't tear down. We don't, I mean, you, you can make fun of their fashion, but not their passions. And that's all in fun, but not to deconstruct and tear down the next generation. We're to treat them as brothers. Then there's younger women. Younger women, we're to treat, oh, man, I skipped older women. You guys, all the moms in the room are like, are you serious? You punk. (laughs) The older women, we're to treat as mothers. It says, Mothers, that, that, that's care, dignity, respect as well. And I would encourage you to rise for them as well, uh, just like you would the older man, and greet them and love them well. We used to have uh, the Friday prayer gathering at noon on Fridays. And this was like a handful of guys and then like a bunch of older women, I think some of whom were widows. And, I mean, you want to talk about mothers of the faith. You want to learn how to pray? You find one of the older women in this church and greet them. Stop and talk to them. Introduce yourself and pray with them. Mickey, Frederick, one of our elders, used to go to that gathering. It was just me and a few men. But these women, they were incredible. And when we, because of other responsibilities, said, hey, we're going to have to stop formally meeting on Fridays because we're getting pulled in other directions, the women said, okay, great. Well, we're going to keep meeting informally and are still continuing to pray for you, for this church. They walk up to me and ask me about things I forgot I even said. How's this or that? I'm like, well, how did you know that? And it's not because they have good memories. It's because they're still praying for those things. These dear women, mothers in the faith. Younger women. It says we're to treat as sisters in all purity. Here's a picture from Halloween this year. So we've got three kids, Hill, Penny, and Judd. And uh, we tell our kids, you can't dress up as anything mean or evil. So we got uh, Superman, a knight, and a mythical horse, a unicorn. The boys dressed up as protectors. And if you ask Hill, if you ask him, hey, what do boys do for girls? And, And I encourage you to do that. If you ever meet him, ask him. Put him to the test. What do boys do for girls? He will tell you this. Boys protect girls. Because we are hardwiring that truth into him that you, as a brother, you protect your sister. And not only your sister, every girl you encounter, you're a protector. And that's not chauvinistic. It's godly. It's what God would have us do. And P.S., you protect them in your dating, in the way you talk, in the way you touch, in your intentions, 
That is how you treat younger women, is as sisters. Oftentimes we're asking ourselves, like, what is God's will for my life? What is he, what is he going to work, my career, my job? Who do you want me to marry? What's your will for me, God? And he has made it crystal clear in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. He says, and this is the will of God for you, that you would be sanctified, which means shaped into the image of Christ. Well, how can I be shaped in the image of Christ? That you would avoid sexual immorality. And so how you look at a woman, talk to a woman, touch a woman, it's to be in all purity, that you would avoid sexual immorality. This is one of the ways that boys protect girls and treat them as sisters. And some of you ladies in hearing that need to break up with your boyfriend because he is not honoring you as a sister in all purity. I tell guys that until you have placed a ring on a woman's finger, she is either to you, every single woman on this earth is either to you a mother or sister, according to this passage, in all purity. We're to have eyes like shepherds and not eyes like wolves seeking to devour. Eyes like shepherds, not like wolves. And how you treat others with your eyes will be how you treat others with your lives. Your eyes are going to inform your heart, or rather your heart's guiding your eyes, and it will become an outworking of you. You're to treat them in all purity, thinking in your mind, let it be the refrain, this is my sister, God is watching. It goes on in 1 Thessalonians 4 and says, God will avenge men for all such sins, and that if you reject this teaching, you don't reject me or Paul who wrote it, but that you reject God. He cares deeply that we treat our Sisters in absolute purity. That's how we relate to one another in the family of God under the household with him as our father. Now we're going to move to our next one, which is provision for your family, especially your widowed mom. Make financial provision for your mom if and when she becomes a widow. Now this one, beginning, middle, and end, God goes to lengths to say you've got to care for your mom, your parents, your mom, particularly your immediate family, here's what it is, 5-4. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and make some return to their parents. That make some return, uh, the Greek, amoibas, it's like this uh, reward for their parents. It says a reward for service. It's like because of the services you gave me, I render to you a financial exchange. It's not just like, well, I'm going to love you. It's that I will care for you. That, that makes some return. It's not presents at Thanksgiving and Christmas. It is a financial provision. Make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. 5.8. Here's that passage that I said at the beginning. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his own household, in context, in particular, that would be for your mom, if and when she becomes a widow, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, I want you to look at the pronouns of that passage. It says, his relatives, his household. He has denied the faith. There was a masculine pronoun throughout that passage. And so one application here for men in particular, because going all the way back to the garden where God said to Adam, you will work the ground, and the ground will work against you, but you are to toil. He has ordained that men will work and in their work become providers for their family. And here he says, if you don't, you've denied the faith and you're worse than an unbeliever. 
And so I know with this many people watching, listening, and present, there are men who are holding out for that perfect job, that dream job, that big what if. You bought a URL and someday you're going to get some funding and it's going to pop. And if somebody, if you get enough followers or whatever it may be, and in the meanwhile, God says, not me, if you're not providing for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. You've denied the faith. God's saying, you can have your dream job, your aspiration, but in the meantime, you better be providing. You better become a driver for Amazon or whatever it may be. You need income before you go after that aspiration. That regardless, we are to work and make provision. And so some of you need to stop waiting for the perfect job and start working any paying job. 516, if any believing woman, so it was talking to men, now it's talking to women. So daughters and son-in-laws, you're not off. I'm sorry, daughters-in-law. Has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Man, here, here's the thing. I read this passage, and I asked our database team, I, I, emailed, I texted Mark Wampler, I'm like, hey, how many widows are at Watermark? He's like, there are 50 members who are widows. 200 that attend, 50 that are members. I was like, wow, that's a lot of scripture for that few people. And then it was like, no, 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 no. It, 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 Widows is the next passage. This passage right here, this is to adult children and adult children caring for their aging parents. This isn't about widows. This application is for adult children. And Watermark is replete with adult children, 18 and up. So 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, even 60s if your parents are still alive. This is for us that we would make a commitment today, mom, dad, but especially mom, I got you. I'm your son or your daughter. I will care for you because God tells me to, that we would make a decision. There's an AARP billboard that has a little girl surrounded by her parents and then in the next picture, it has that girl grown up in full age, and her parents are older. I see heads nodding. And in the middle, it says, roles change. Roles change. Hey, you cared for them, and the message to the American Association of Retired Persons is like, hey, you cared for them, let them now care for you. Let your kids into your life. They want to help, let them do it. This is what God is saying. He's like, hey, church, AARP gets it. They're not a Christian organization, and even they understand that children now care for their parents. So how much more the people of God in whom the Spirit dwells that have the commands of God would know they cared for you then, you care for them now. That's what God says. I left uh, my family with my in-laws late this week to come back and prepare for this message. And I pulled my son aside, my oldest, into the bathroom. And I said, okay, hey, Hill, you're the oldest man in the house now. I mean, there was granddad and doll, our great-grandfather. But, but in our family, he's the oldest. I said, you take care of mom, okay? You're the oldest. You take care of mom. Because I want to build that into him now and not just when, you know, before I die and when he's 50 and it's his time to do it. He needs to know, you take care of mom. Now, he threw a fit and was a terror to her. Different story. But God here in 1 Timothy 5, verses 4, 8, 
and 16, he also is pulling us aside and saying, take care of mom. Church, take care of mom. Yes, your parents. Yes, your household. But here, the thrust of this passage is widows. You take care of mom. That's what it says. Echoing all the way back to Cain, talking about the garden again. It's almost like this refrain that God's saying, yes, you are your mother's keeper. And so my brother and I, man, we watched my parents do this with my grandmother who was a widow for 48 years. We watched my mom and my dad care for her. She was just a, she was a part of the family, not an extension, a part. Like multiple meals throughout the week, soccer games, cutting her lawn, picking up stuff out of her, home repair, car repair, sending money every holiday. She was just there. She's where we went when my parents went on vacation to beautiful places, which hurt me as a kid, and now I totally understand. But they took care of my mother. My dad treated her like his own mom. I had an example for it. My brother and I, just last month, we were sitting in the backyard, and we're talking about just this thing, like, hey, at some point, mom and dad have got to move down here. They're in Missouri They've always lived there. They're with their best friends. But at some point, it's not even a choice. Like, we are going to move them here, and we will care for them. And we will care. My, my dad, being on the Elmore side of the family, like, he's probably going home first. Uh, my mom's side, my grandma always living to 100. Mom's likely going to be the one. And my mom says they're both going home at the same time. But regardless, my brother and I, Matt and I, will take care of mom. And my dad needs to know that, and she needs to know that, and that's what God's ordained, and so it will be. But it's not just elderly. One of Laura's best friends from college, my wife's 35 years old, she's lived as a widow with her children because her husband died in a tragic accident while trying to provide and care for their family. And this is like, I mean, torn Laura's heart as she watches her friend walk through this. But her family has come around her. In our community group, Beth and Shane Bernard, on, on both sides of the family, Beth's mom and Shane's mom have widowed moms. Shane's dad died years ago. Beth's dad died just this year. And we have seen them. We've had an example, I mean, front row seat to how to care for your parents. Shane and his brother Justin built their mom a house on the land that Justin lives. And like, hey, this is your home. We got you. And as if that wasn't enough, they put an RV in their backyard. Hey, mom, you're welcome here. You stay as long as you want. And the same for Beth's mom. And have spent months in Ohio when Beth's dad was in hospice care there at the home. And then months after caring for Beth's mom, Tina, who said, this is, this is a grief observed. You have to just see it. No one can experience this. As my kids watch me grieve, such a great example. The, the Ten Commandments, you remember the Ten Commandments? The fifth one, honor your father and mother. We love to drill that into our children. Hey, honor your father and mother, go clean your room. Honor your father and mother, eat your green beans. Honor your father and mother, we teach it in kids' ministry. Did you know when Jesus teaches this verse, honor your father and mother, it's not the kids? He didn't say, let the little children come to me. Boys, girls, honor your mother and father. He rebuked the Pharisees with it. These adult, grown children, Pharisees. He rebuked them. And he said, you have a fine way of rejecting the commands of Moses to establish your false traditions. And you don't even allow grown children, adult children, to care for their aging parents, saying that they should instead give it to God to further your pharisaical agenda when they should be caring for their parents. 
Jesus uses that, Exodus 20, verse 12, to honor your father and mother in that way. So you don't age out at 18 of honor your father and mother. It continues on, especially to care for your aging mother. This is why membership matters. Because family is the first line of defense, but if family can't provide, then the church steps in, and the church meaning community group. And so if you're here, you need to be a member, which is what we talked about earlier as far as connecting and joining the church to read and agree to the covenant, to share your testimony that you were in Christ, to join a community group, to be shepherded. First, Timoth- First Peter 5.2 says, shepherd the flock among you. There's no way to shepherd the flock among us if we don't know who they are. And so to be a part of a community group, to be shepherded, and to use the gifts that you've been given by the Spirit to build up the church. That's what it is to be a member, and it matters so that when these things happen, whether we're a widow or not, with financial hardship, if your family, who is the first line of defense, cannot meet that need, then the church, your community group, that family of God does. And if the community group can't meet that need, then they will call the pastor over that community group, who's the community director, Say, hey, we're unable. And they'll walk you through that, and the church will provide. There's always been a promise here that no member will ever go without food, clothing, or shelter. But that can't happen without giving. And so giving matters. The church can't care without the church giving. That's the means by which, which is why Laura and I do, and you all do. We give in order that the body could be cared for reciprocally. Lastly, faithfulness of the widow. Now there's this instruction about widows, and there's two paths that the Lord lays. He's like, I mean, he knows the difficulty, the temptation, what you're going to face, how how, how the fleshly comforts are going to be screaming at you. Dear widows. And he says there's a path of faithfulness, and there's a path following the flesh. Here it is in verse 5 and 6. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplication and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. And so Christ and the church have a faithfulness to widows, and widows have a faithfulness to Christ and the church. Now rather than me telling widows how they should live, providentially a widow emailed one of our elders, David Leventhal, and she agreed that I could share this letter that she wrote, not knowing even that it would be a part of this message later, but said, yes, please read it. This is from Wendy Park, who became a widow six years ago here at Watermark, serving in Kaleidoscope Women's Bible Study. She will now teach us by her own life and words. My husband died September 14th, 2014, after a 100-day battle with cancer. He was 42, I was 39, and our kids were 12, 9, and 2 and a half at the time. I was a stay-at-home mom, homeschooling them due to their special educational needs. I cannot even begin to describe the devastation we faced with his death. I have said it repeatedly to people over the years that you have no idea how one you are as a married couple until it is gone. Ours was not a perfect marriage by any stretch of the imagination, but when my hubby went home, half of me went with him, and I was left behind trying to figure out how to heal and become a whole person again. 
I was no longer a wife. Trying to live without him was excruciating. The number one question widows ask God is, what do I do now? What is my purpose? 1 Timothy 5 became a comfort to me because it gave me a job description as a widow. In fact, I have a post-it note in my Bible lest I ever forget it. I list it as, one, cares for her family. Two, puts her hope in God. Three, continues day and night to pray and ask God for help. Four, is well known for good deeds such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, and helping those in trouble. Five, does not become an idler, gossiper, or busybody. Six, is devoted to Christ. Wendy says, widows need to know that God has a plan and a purpose for them in their pain so that they will be able to move forward in their grief. Watermark has been a place of healing and restoration for all of us. I serve in Kaleidoscope with my oldest two helping and women's Bible study. I mentor other new widows as I can. I wanted to pass this along to you and the elders so you could hear just a little of what it is like to rebuild as a young widow. It is certainly not an exhaustive list of the challenges I have faced over the last six years, but my goal as a widow is found in 1 Timothy 5. Dear widows, you need to know that as Wendy's life in following 1 Timothy 5, that your devotion to Christ silences Satan. And that's true for every believer, but here in this particular passage, especially for widows, that your daily devotion to Christ silences Satan and leaves him no room for accusation. Now, two things that I would be remiss if I didn't share. One, from verse 514, Scripture makes it plain and clear that it is okay and even encouraged for widows to remarry. You just need to make sure that that man is devoted to Christ just as you are so that you would not be unequally yoked. That he is a Bible-believing, Christ-following, free-to-marry-or-remarry man and that you would be equally yoked. Because I would imagine that some widows are wrestling with, is that disloyal to my first husband? And and their differences and what would my in-laws think And others of you are thinking like, I want to live in celibacy and devotion for all my years, as my grandmother did. And either choice is God-honoring. And to remarry is actually encouraged here in this passage. And you need to know that. That's important. Just make sure that man is devoted to Christ. And also, you remember J.D. that I talked about? J.D. lost his dad six years ago. His dad was a pastor and went home to be with the Lord. And so widows... uh, You're caring for children who are also grieving. J.D.'s mom was caring for him in her own grief, even as he was grieving. And for every widow, there are likely children also in the grief there. And so church, these are family values that we have to be about. When you walked in, I talked about the Elmore family values, but now you are leaving with God's family values. You take this home and pour over it because this dear friend of mine who is a dear widow of the faith is upholding family values. And when she was faced with affliction of raising children or a child with autism in her own cancer and the death of her husband after a severe seizure, in all of that, 
her devotion to Christ silenced Satan as she walked in these family values, glorifying Christ even in her suffering. Walk home with these family values and live them out. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you have not left us without guidance, but that here, adopted by the Father through Jesus, now indwelt by the Spirit, you have given us incredible family values of how we are to interact and care for each other and love each other, that we would love one another as you have loved us and that we would be an example for the watching world of what it means to be true family. Though we are not blood family, naturally, we are blood family in Christ and that they would be in awe as they see us respond to older and younger and widows and fatherless. That they would see and long for the love that can only be explained by the one who first loved us. Truly, we are family because of Jesus, children of God. Church, if you would now with your mask on, please stand and let's respond in worship to those truths in song.